Paul, who also in the letter to the Corinthians, speaks about the church's teaching, or Christ's own teaching, uh, about married life and what holy Christian marriage looks like. Without any context, though, this particular passage doesn't seem to be putting marriage into a very positive light. He's saying, listen, I should like you all to be free of anxiety. And if you're going to find a wife, you're going to double your anxiety. I should like you to be free of anxiety, but if you're going to take a husband, you're going to triple your anxiety. A married man, a married woman, St. Paul says, has a divided heart. That they are anxious not just about pleasing the Lord, but about pleasing their spouse, about caring for their family. But if we look at St. Paul's passage in context, we realize he's just pointing out the truth of the matter, which is neither positive nor negative. He's teaching us that married life is difficult. This is not news to anyone. And yet the strange thing is, is when it comes to the Christian vocations, to the vocation to marriage and to celibacy, what should be obvious is so often hidden because of the weakness of our mind, the cloud that comes from living in a fallen world. And so we need to be reminded of it. Similarly, just as some can forget the struggles inherent in marriage, some can forget the joys inherent in celibacy. So St. Paul reminds us of those. He says the unmarried man, the unmarried woman, is able to serve the Lord wholeheartedly in a way different from a married person. Again, St. Paul is by no means disparaging marriage. In fact, later in this letter to the Corinthians, we'll hear the passage that's read at, I don't know, 99 out of 100 Christian weddings that you attend. St. Paul, in other letters, compares marriage, Christian marriage, to the very relationship that God has with his church. But St. Paul wants us to understand what it means to be called to one of these Christian vocations. Paul himself was called to the celibate life. His other half, St. Peter, we so frequently put Peter and Paul together, St. Peter was called to the married life to have a wife and children. This is what St. Paul says just a few verses after this passage ends. He says, only this, let everyone lead the life which the Lord has assigned to him and in which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. He doesn't want any Christian to default into any particular way of life. 
He doesn't want a Christian to look at him and say, St. Paul, the great evangelizer, I must be just like him. So I'll renounce marriage to be like Paul. He doesn't want anyone to say, everyone gets married. I've got to get married too. It's the normal thing to do. There are no defaults in the Christian life. Let everyone lead the life which the Lord has assigned him and which God has called him. This Christian teaching on these two vocations doesn't come from St. Paul or from St. Peter. It's not a development of theologians throughout the years, but it comes from Jesus Christ himself who came to redeem all of humanity. He came to restore all that was lost in the fall. One of those things that was lost in the fall was marriage. Marriage is the first Christian, first human society, institution. From the time of the garden itself. And because marriage existed before the fall, it was subject to the fall. And so... We have lived in a world since the fall of man where marriage and family life is not perfect for anyone. We have all experienced in one way or another the brokenness that comes because of sin and evil in the world. And so some disciples, so-called disciples perhaps, went to Jesus to test him. That's why I say so-called. Maybe they weren't so faithful after all if they were seeking to test the Lord. But this is from Matthew chapter 19, which oddly enough, we never read at any Sunday Mass. So I'm going to read it to you now. Why not? Just part of it. Don't worry. So they ask Jesus, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, have you not read that he who made them from the beginning made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one. So they are no longer two, but one. What therefore God has joined together, let no man put asunder. They said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce? He said to them, because of the hardness of your hearts, Moses allowed divorce, but from the beginning it was not so. And Jesus came to restore what was from the beginning. So his listeners hear this and respond, if this is the case, it's probably better not to marry. If the two become one, and this is really a lifelong thing, maybe we shouldn't mess with that. The word used in here is expedient. 
Maybe it would be more expedient not to marry. And Jesus replied to them and said, Not all can receive this precept, but only those to whom it is given. Jesus says, Not all are called to marriage. But to those who are called, Jesus Christ gives the grace to live this lifelong vocation. Then he goes on. He says, in fact, there are some who are unable to marry because they were born incapable of marriage. They were born incapable of doing the things that married couples do. He says others are unable to marry because they have been made incapable by others through some act of violence or mutilation, unable to do the things that married couples do. But some have renounced marriage for the sake of the kingdom. And he who is able to receive this, let him receive it. Not everyone is called to the celibate way of life. But those who are called should embrace it. Not all are called to Christian married life. But those who are called should embrace it. Each one of us discerning the will of God for our lives. Both of these vocations are necessary for the fullness of God's plan for our salvation. Because each of these vocations, to married life and to celibacy, show us a path to heaven. And they teach the world a little bit about what heaven will be like. In heaven, we know that we will all, all, like that's a that's a big word when we're talking about heaven. We will all be united in perfect love. That's something that's difficult for us to imagine. We struggle sometimes to love the limited number of people in our lives right now. And so it's hard to imagine how we could possibly be united in perfect love with everyone who's ever existed and who will exist, with all the saints in heaven. And so the Lord has given us these two Christian vocations to help us understand a little bit about what that might be like. A perfect, loving relationship in heaven is one that is deep. We use the word intimate. You know, there's all sorts of different levels of love, I suppose, levels of affection for others. But true, deep, loving relationships are few and far between. And the older we get, we realize that even among our friends and acquaintances, there are a handful at most who are faithful 
deep, and loving relationships. None deeper, more intimate, or more steadfast than the relationship of a husband and a wife. Christian marriage teaches us a little bit about the depths of love in heaven. That we will be perfectly united in love to everyone with the same kind of intimacy, care, and wholeheartedness of a Christian husband and wife. And we'll have that for all. In order to experience a little glimpse of this heavenly love on earth, in order to experience the depth of that kind of intimacy, Christian marriage sacrifices inclusivity. Christian married love is exclusive. It is just for the husband and the wife. Because that kind of love, we are not physically, mentally, or emotionally capable of having that kind of intimate love and care for every single person we meet. Imagine going to a restaurant. Oh, imagine going to a restaurant, right? There's a good imagination. <laughs> and the waiter comes up, and because that person exists, you have a deep, intimate, and loving relationship with that person from now on. He's come to take your order, and you want to know his whole life. And you're going to be involved in it deeply, intimately, forever. We'd never go out to eat again. We don't, have the, we don't have the emotional bandwidth for that. We're incapable of that kind of intimacy with everyone. And so Christian marriage helps us to focus that on one person. I can't have that level of love for everyone, but I can have it with God's grace for my spouse. Sacrificing inclusivity. The Christian married couple experiences a little taste of the intimacy of eternal love in heaven. The celibate vocation does just the opposite. The celibate vocation is also a vocation to love. But in this case, that level of intimacy, depth, involvement, is sacrificed. The depth of love is a little more shallow. I hate to use that word because it's such a negative connotation, but if we're talking deep, the opposite is shallow. For the sake of inclusivity. The celibate lives a life of inclusive love. That he is able to love, to care for, to be involved with the lives of everyone. And heavenly love is inclusive. 
There is no one excluded from deep and intimate love in heaven. And so the celibate experiences the joy of inclusive love. It was strange to me, but especially to my family, right? Because we're used to family love. We understand what that means to care for our brothers and sisters and even aunts and uncles and cousins and so forth. But after I was ordained, when people would meet members of my family, they would talk about me as if I were a member of their family. And this was very strange. I remember one of my sisters saying to me, how can you be so important in this person's life and I don't even know who they are? It kind of blows my mind. The inclusivity of heavenly love is mind-blowing. And the celibate Christian is called to experience that inclusivity in a particular way on earth. Both the vocations to celibacy and marriage teach us something about heaven. And more than that, they show the world something about heaven. That we are witnesses of these things to all. That Christian marriage and Christian celibacy is meant to be a light shining in the darkness of a world that longs for authentic love. Each year at the cathedral, there's a special mass for couples who are celebrating. I knock that over every week now. There's a special mass for couples who are celebrating jubilee anniversaries. I think you get to go the first time at your 25th anniversary, then again at your 50th, um, maybe, the, maybe the 5th or 10th as well. So maybe it's 10, 25, 50th. And then you get to go every year after 50 years because every year is a jubilee. And when you go to that mass at that cathedral and you see those couples married 50, 60, 75, 78 years, that's the longest I have been party to, you realize what it means to be a light shining in the darkness. You realize what it means that Christian marriage teaches other people what heaven will be like. Because after so many years of marriage, of faithful, deep, committed love, a lifetime is not long enough. 50, 60, 70, 78 years is not enough. Only eternity will satisfy. Each should live the vocation to which God has called them. And in this way, the church becomes a little bit of heaven on earth. We begin to see a little bit what eternity will be like. Because we have a taste of deep and lasting love. 
We have a taste of the inclusivity where no one is left behind, forgotten, or tossed aside. And each of their vocations in a complementary way do this. So whether you're discerning what vocation God is calling you to, or you're already living the vocation God has called you to, we need to be reminded from time to time of the dignity of that call. We can get easily distracted by the struggles and anxieties of daily life. We can forget the high calling of marriage and celibacy because we focus too much on the very real struggles involved, the sacrifices demanded by both of these ways of life. St. Paul wants you to know the truth. Celibacy is no picnic. Marriage is not a walk in the park. Because the Christian vocation is to take up your cross each day and follow the Lord. But the Christian knows that the path of the cross is the path to heaven. That the suffering of Calvary leads to the joy of the resurrection. And even though much is demanded of Christian spouses and those called to celibacy, for us too, the cross that we pick up each day is the road to eternal joy. It leads to that intimate and inclusive love that we were made for, that we were born for. So let us discern well the calling God has given to each one of us. Whether you're too young to even be thinking about marriage, or so many years in, that you don't remember your wedding day or anywhere in between. Each of us is called to live a little heaven on earth and to show heaven to others each and every day. For heaven's sake, let's not default into any way of life. Let's not forget the high calling and dignity of the way of life that God has called us to. And in this way, we will find the fulfillment that we long for. We'll find the joy that we long for. Because having heard God's voice, we will realize whatever vocation he has called us to, 
that we were made for this. And to follow God's will, difficult though it may be, is the only path to joy. I believe in one God. Oh.